Thank you for listening to this week's message from North Shore Christian Church. For more information about North Shore, please visit northshorechristian.org. Sometimes the Holy Spirit just kind of shows up. Excuse me. Forgive me. He doesn't kind of show up. When he shows up, he shows up. It is a blessing to be together with you this morning. Uh, for Pat and I, we feel very honored to get to just share some things with you today. Um, this, is, uh, this is a unique time. Um, you know, uh, and, and for those of you who don't know, my name is Damian Thompson, uh, and this is Pat Lassard. We're on staff here. Um, and uh, our big cheese, Scott, he is out. He and Sandy, they're out traveling and hopefully having a time of rest. Uh, if you guys are watching, we love you. We miss you. Come on back. Um, but uh, so we just finished up several weeks of looking at our vision and our mission. Um, we're, we're intentionally, we're looking to recenter and refocus ourselves on what God has called us to do. Um, and next week, we're actually going to be starting a brand new series called Further Than You Think. And um, that's all I'm going to share about it because I'm gonna, we're going to trust the Lord with the rest of that and the blessing that is coming um, for that for us. Okay? So make sure that you're here. It's going to get started next week. And Dr. Sanjay is going to be kicking us off with that. So looking forward to that piece right there. Um, but today we get to do something that's a betweener. And um, this is going to be, we hope, something that's unique for us and important to us here who call North Shore home. Today's message is titled Sacred. And uh, it's sacred because of the elements that we practice in this sacred space. And as we worship the Lord, there's some things that we do, right, in worship to him that are sacred. And so for today, we're wanting to slow down on a couple of those things that we regularly observe from week to week and give a little more specific attention to it for us and just calling us higher calling us deeper. We want to make sure as well that what we do, that we practice in a worthy manner. So we're really mindful of that. The definition of sacred is this, a divine ordinance holy to God, a divine ordinance holy to God to be devoutly respected and revered. So it's very much that. So we're going to be focusing on communion and giving today. We're going to kind of slow down and settle in on those weekly, regular practices for us. Now, we have uh, restructured your regularly scheduled worship service here, so, so we will be using those, observing those at the end of our message today. So, let's get in. All right, church. First, we're going to be looking at communion. And in specific, we're going to be looking at communion as a memorial. Okay, communion as a memorial. So this morning, we're going to take a straight from scripture look at this. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 22, and we'll be starting at verse 14, and we'll be getting there in just a moment. But I, I'm a firm believer in context. I hold that as a high, uh, high value when it comes to teaching, because um, it's very dangerous when you can just pluck something out of scripture and just use it because it fits where you're at or what you're trying to say. We're going to look at what was happening in Jesus's life at this time, okay? Um, so here's the situation, all right? Just three chapters prior to Luke 22, Jesus has just, um, just done his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. People were yelling, uh, Hosanna, you know, to God in the highest. He's sitting on a colt that he's walking in. The disciples are being, they're laying their cloaks before him as he comes in. And then one of the first things that Jesus does is Jesus goes to the temple. Now, that's not uncommon, but what Jesus does there is a little different. He goes and he basically cleanses the temple. And I'm not talking about with Clorox. I'm talking Jesus goes in and he physically drives out all of the money changers and everybody that he does not believe should be in his father's house. Then Jesus finds himself being challenged um, again and again for his authority of being the son of God. The religious leaders were just coming after him left and right and again and here trying to trip him up, trying to catch him because they want to put him to death. Jesus also begins to prophesy in some very specific ways. He foretells of the destruction of the very temple that he just cleansed. And then he also foretells of wars and persecutions 
that are coming. He even prophesies of the fall of the very city that they were in, Jerusalem. And then he does something that's just way from left field. He begins to prophesy of his second coming. Now, can you imagine what that felt like? Because Jesus is standing right there. Jesus, what are you talking about your second coming? You're still in the middle of your first coming. You're a young man. You're doing fine. What are you talking about when you come again? But then Jesus comes to what he understands now to be his time. The cross is near, and it's the day of unleavened bread, and he tells Peter and John to go and prepare the Passover, okay? And every Jew and non-Jew would have understood what the Passover meant, what the day of unleavened bread meant, because you can't live among a people and not come to understand what their rituals and what their ordinances are. I got just a little taste of that. It's been almost five years now since I got to visit Israel and happened to be there for the first time ever during Sabbath for them. And we were in a hotel and this was a really interesting experience, but what stuck with me quite a bit was the elevator situation. Because the elevators, I heard Carla laugh, she knows what I'm talking about. The elevators, basically, when you step into the elevator, um, none of the buttons work. Because it's going to stop at every floor on the way up, and it's going to stop on every floor on the way down. Because they believe if you take your finger and you press that button... You just violated Sabbath because you worked. You just did something. Now, we would look at that and we would go, oh my gosh, that's, that's ridiculous, Damien. It's a button, but not for them. See, that's, that's for us here we get to think that. But there, it was very, very clear. Step on the elevator, be, be prepared to take some time, okay? There it is. Thank you, thank you. And so the Passover is also something we need to understand it's not one of those meals that you hit a drive-through uh, to pick up or that you, you pull up on your app and you have it delivered by Grubhub. No, that's not what the Passover was. It was something that was going to take time to prepare. And church, I believe that for us today, when it comes to communion, we probably should do no different. Amen? Amen. All right. So... This Passover experience has been passed down for hundreds of generations, and it helps them remember when God delivered them out of Egypt. So I'm, I've got a little bit of homework I want to ask you guys to do. Now, I know there's pens all in the seat backs in front of you, or if you want to use a note taker or whatever you have, but I want you to write down in your notes Exodus 12 and 13. Exodus chapters 12 and 13. And here's what I want to ask you to do. When you get some time this week, I want you to go back and I want you to read those two chapters. Because those two chapters are going to help you understand where this whole understanding of communion even originated. Okay? And then after you read that, then go and read Luke 22 and what it is that we're about to share together this morning. Okay? So, let's take a look at what happens. The Passover has been prepared. Jesus gathers with his disciples. We're going to start at verse 14, if you'd like to read along with me. And it says, and when the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he said, take this. And divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. So church... When we hear this and we look at this, it's, it's, it's a powerful moment. He's gathered with his disciples, and he's taking the elements that are commonly associated with the Passover, with the Feast of the, of the Unleavened Bread. But then he begins to explain in such a way that is very, it is completely uncommon and completely extraordinary, and it was about to go down. He takes the cup and he prays and he tells them to divide it amongst yourselves so that everybody would have some. 
And he also explains to him that he's not going to drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God is come. Then he takes the bread and he breaks it and he gives it to them. And after he's done this now, he gives them two very specific instructions. With the bread, he says, this is my body given for you. When you do this, when you eat this, I want you to remember something that you've never, ever remembered before, something brand new. And then he's told them with the cup, he said, this cup it actually is going to be representative of something never done before, never seen before, never known before. And it's going to be in my blood. And this new thing, this new thing that Jesus is doing, he referred to it as a new covenant, a new covenant. Now that takes us back to, okay, so what was the old covenant? Well, the old covenant was the Ten Commandments. It was the Mosaic Covenant. And Jesus was now saying, all of that old stuff is now going to be done anew with. And now something new through me is going to be put in its place. So when we look at those words, when he says, you know, this is my body broken for you. When you drink this cup, remember me. That sounds like a memorial, a sacred memorial. And now we're going to have an opportunity. I'm going to turn this over to, to Pastor Pat. We're going to take a look at the heart, the heart for this sacred moment called communion. One of the things that I'm just kind of reminded of as we were talking through this message and you were talking through that piece was the element of how much preparation went into the Passover meal. And even for, even for the disciples, Jesus and the disciples, right, they, they prepared that room and that space and that place and that time. And you're really, uh, you really took that to heart and going, if they did that much preparation and preparing for that meal, we should take due diligence in this sacred act to prepare ourselves. I think I remember being in the moment feeling like I probably need to repent of that because of how little preparation I've done with my heart on that. It was, it was, mm. that, that's, that struck me too as you were talking about that. Communion is, is sacred. This, this is a, a sacred act that we participate. And um, there's, a, there's reasons to it. This is not a comprehensive message about all things that could be sacred about communion. Uh, but there are some things we want you to hold on to as we participate in them. Communion is a memorial right? Communion also, it communicates something very important. It communicates complete forgiveness, complete forgiveness. So regarding this uh, old covenant and these practices in which the priests participated in on behalf of the people in the temple, uh, the Bible speaks about its limitations and the limitations of the old covenant and the necessity for a new covenant. And so I want to look to Hebrews 10 and uh, verse 11 and, and walk through what this says regarding forgiveness and what we have because of the cross, because of the Son of God, the power of his sacrifice of his body and his blood. So Hebrews 10 verse 11 says, And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can... Never take away sin. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Communion communicates complete forgiveness. That one time, the power of Jesus Christ on the cross, God coming down in the flesh because his love was greater and that he would sacrifice himself, his body, his blood in the worst possible way to die, right? In pain for our sin. It was the power of the sacrifice, utter power, one time for all times, one time for all sin, for all people. That's how powerful it was. And it did away with the old. 
and that old sacrifice and the limitations of that system. Communion, as we participate in it and we regularly observe and remember, it communicates forgiveness one time for all times. So as you take and you eat the bread and you drink the cup, believer, it's about forgiveness, complete forgiveness, not just enough for today or what was, but completely done, completely forgiven. I love how it says at that last sentence there, for by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. I love that element of it as well. For those who are continuing to be sanctified, there's this already being perfected in him, being made complete in him. We know we are not without sin. He knows that. And we have been paid in full. And he says we have been perfected in him. We have been, because of the power of Christ, we are perfect and complete in him. And yet there's this all not yet element of continuing to be sanctified, continuing to be purified and made holy, continuing to be made more like Jesus through this long, lifelong, slow, right, process of life. And sometimes painful, sometimes very hard. Life, this process. And he knows how to do that perfectly. I want to continue on. Verse 15. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. For after saying, this is what the Holy Spirit said, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he added, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer an offering of sin. So as the Holy Spirit spoke to Jeremiah the prophet in chapter 31, as well Ezekiel in chapter 11 and 34, I believe, 36, he said some very important things, and they're all consistent about the new covenant and what we have. It says that we have been given, believers have been given a new heart, a soft heart, a pliable heart, a responsive heart to God. He says that he will give us a new spirit. In addition, he will give us his spirit, will dwell within us. He will write his law on our hearts and on our minds. We will be conscientious of what is right and wrong according to God and having a mind like him, being sensitive to him and his spirit. And then it says, complete forgiveness. He will remember our sins no more. Communion communicates complete forgiveness. So as we receive this by faith, right? Because it's not necessarily a mathematical equation. By faith, we receive this gift of complete forgiveness, God asks you, will you trust me that I have completely forgiven you? The power of my sacrifice paid in full for every single thing you have done, doing, and could do. Will you receive that? That God's kindness, as Romans 2, 4 says, would lead you to transformation, internal transformation through repentance, right? Receive it, believe it. Communion communicates complete forgiveness. Thank you, brother. Mm. I'll let you go ahead and preach the rest of this, man. Church, the other good thing uh, that we do in our worship that is sacred that we're going to talk about is giving. And in specific, I'm going to talk about the call to give. Now, some of us will look at giving and go, well, I never considered giving to be something that's sacred. Okay, um, you know, that, that's fair because I, if, if I'm, I'm, I'm just going to speak on behalf of what I think I understand the Lord's heart for us is on this, is that the Lord doesn't need us to give. The Lord needs us to worship him. That's what the Lord needs. And so then the question is, is what does our worship look like? 
So when we get to give unto the Lord, we're not giving because the Lord needs something from us. Okay? But let's, look, let's just take a look because some of that is Damien's opinion. Um, let's look at what Jesus, let's look at what Jesus did. So we're going to back up in the book of Luke, and we're going to go back to Luke chapter 6. Okay? Now, in Luke chapter 6, uh, let's just go ahead and let's get the context. Let's get the setting. Jesus is speaking to a very, very large multitude of people. And I wish I could tell you that Jesus was giving one of those sermons that make you feel all warm and fuzzy on the inside and made you want to hug somebody and, you know, and you just, you no, know. this was not one of those sermons. As a matter of fact, I don't know if Jesus ever gave one of those sermons. But in this one, Jesus is giving what I think could be best described as some hard teaching, some really hard teaching. We're going to be resting and spending some time in Luke chapter 6, verse 38, okay? That's the verse where we're going to be. But I want us to back up just about 11 verses, and we're going to look at how we got there and what Jesus was saying so that you could kind of just kind of get a sense of what the air and the atmosphere might have felt like. So Jesus starts out with this, love your enemies. Now you will say, I've heard Jesus say that before, but he just kind of blew past love your neighbor as yourself. He just kind of went all the way out there and said, love your enemies. Love them. Don't like them. Don't be nice to them. He said, love them. And then he says, do good to those who hate you. And hate is a heavy word. Almost makes me kind of wonder if Jesus had, why he didn't address who it is that we hate. But that sounds like that could be another sermon. So we're going to keep moving on. He said, bless those who curse you. He said, pray for those who abuse you. He said, if you get hit, take it. If somebody takes your stuff, let it go. He said, if someone begs from you, give. It's almost as if Jesus is saying in these verses and in this section of his sermon, he's saying, if you have it to give, give it. If that includes your stuff, if that includes your other cheek that hasn't been hit yet, if that includes love that doesn't make any sense because I'm giving it to somebody who hates me and who I consider to be my enemy, Jesus said, give it. Then Jesus steps into a whole other realm. And it's this whole other realm that's really interesting. He begins to compare those who would want to follow him with sinners. Now, he doesn't use sinners as a, as a reference to degrade them, it's basically he's saying, listen, if sinners can loan to somebody and get that money paid back, you could do better. If, if, if sinners could forgive, okay, because they've been forgiven, all right? If, if, if a sinner, and he just keeps kind of going, and what he's basically saying is, if the sinner can do this, if you're to follow me, I'm calling you to something higher. I'm calling you to something greater. I'm calling you to something that's going to demand more of yourself. And then we get to verse 38, and Jesus says something that quite honestly probably finally felt like they could breathe for a second. And here's what he said. He said, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down. Shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. And for with the measure you, you use, it will be measured back to you. Give and it will be given to you. But then Jesus takes it a step further to say, look, it's going to be given to you with good measure. Now, what do we mean by good measure? Now, see, I remember back in the days when this started happening, you'd get a bag of potato chips and that bag of potato chips was supposed to be a full bag of potato chips. But then they started putting these words on there that says, some settling may occur during shipping. And we realized, no, that's a lie. You didn't fill up this bag with the potato chips like you were supposed to. I'm just saying. It's just like when you go through a drive-thru and you get a soda with your meal. And they hand you your soda. And you stop and look and you can see that there's two inches still left that didn't get full. This is not a good measure. And you want to hand it back and say, give me the rest of my soda. I'm paying for this. 
even though you don't need it, you're probably not going to drink it anyway. But a good measure is when something is filled to the top. The next one he says, he talks about press down. Now, for those who had fields and had grain that they were selling and they put it in a container, they would press it down so they could get more grain in there. Shaken together to get that grain to remove all of the, 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 the space that was between. They'd shake it, shake it to get it on down. I'll be like my shaking right now. I've been working on this, okay? They shake it to get it down, to settle down so they could get more in. And then Jesus says, running over. You remember the days when you used to hold out your cup and somebody start pouring and the person pouring would say, say when, and then you just start pouring and then you forget that they're pouring and they just keep pouring because they just want to do that to you and just spill it all over your hand and everything. Jesus is saying, listen, my father has so much to give that he's going to give you more than you have the ability to hold and keep. I tell you, the giving that the Lord calls us to is such a beautiful place because it is so reflective of who Jesus was and how he gave, and he gave, and he gave. But church, the heart behind it is something I'm going to let Pat share with you because I'm looking forward to what the brother has to say. Pat. Mm -hmm. Love it. You know, why do we hold giving as sacred? Because God calls us to give, right? It, it is from him. It's from the very nature of him. And so we get to participate with his likeness as we emulate what he has done. We get to walk in that same way, in that same fashion. So why else do we hold uh, giving as sacred? Because of God's heart for our hearts, because of God's heart for our heart in giving. I want to look at 2 Corinthians 9 and how this communicates this. Now, this is, uh, the setup here is Paul is organizing and administrating a gift for believers in Jerusalem. And so he's working together with his brothers and sisters, sending some brothers and sisters to gather funds that the Corinthian church has promised to give in support and relief um, uh, for the work and advancement of, of uh, God's work in and through the brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. And so I want to pick off in verse 5, 2 Corinthians 9, 5. It says, So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift that you have promised, so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction the NASB says. And I inserted in there what the NASB uh, comparable literal translation says as well. I think it's a little more uh, understandable, okay? And it says, not affected by covetousness. And we're gonna come back to that point, okay? I love where he goes here. He says, this is the point. This is the point. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his own heart, not reluctantly and not under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency at all things and all times, you may abound in every good work. Why do we give? Why do we hold giving as sacred? It's because God has called us to and because of his heart for our hearts. That's why we give. And part of that is that we would guard it. Part of it is that we would guard our hearts because there we have all been bitten by the snake, the serpent. There is sin within Every single one of us has a sin nature, also called the flesh. It is corrupt. It, 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 it wars against God, and it always will. It is hostile towards the things of God. And there is an anti-venom. There is an anti-venom against what he warns us in and against all covetousness. I want you to make sure, he says, that you're ready with the gift that you've said that you're going to and that... Uh, would you put that scripture back up there? 
And it says that you are not affected by covetousness. You've been bitten by this snake, and I hope that you don't allow greed and lust, coveting, this desire for always wanting and wanting and wanting, never satisfied, but always wanting more and holding on to this and add more to it. I hope and I pray that you are not affected by covetousness more and you don't allow your gift to God be affected by always wanting and lusting and desiring and holding on to, right? Why does God call us to give? Why do we hold on to it as sacred? Because his heart for our hearts is necessary that we would guard our hearts for it is the wellspring of life. Everything flows from it. So he wants you to protect yourself and guard against things that would corrupt you and rob you from you being who God has made you to truly be, let alone experiencing him and his goodness. So guard yourself so that you're not affected by covetousness. He goes on and he says in the, in the second part of that, or that last verse there, he says, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency at all times and in all ways, you may abound in every good work. I love how absolute that sentence is. It is very, very big, right? God's heart for our heart is that we would entrust it to him. We would guard it and we would entrust it. We would entrust our heart to him. We would entrust our stuff to him. Why? God is able to make all grace abound to you. Exactly what Damon was just saying, that Jesus said. So that having all sufficiency, let me ask you, do any of you believe that God is incompetent? That he doesn't know enough? He's not able, able enough? capable enough, insightful enough, caring enough? Would any of us say that? Would any of us say that God is broke? That he doesn't have two nickels to rub together? No, we wouldn't say that. If you would come to that conclusion, you don't know him. You'd be very off about him because God is faithful. And this is what he says about himself. And he has testified throughout all history that God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. You don't need to worry. You can trust him. Why do we give? His heart for our hearts is that we would guard our hearts from covetousness. It's the anti-venom. As we give, we minimize the flesh. We lessen the sinful nature and we strengthen the inner man and the inner woman, that spirit being, and we participate with him. And he wants us to entrust our hearts to him and entrust our stuff to him because he is able and so in that, we get to hold giving as sacred. What's God doing with you? What's God doing with you? Why do we hold communion as sacred? It's a memorial. It communicates complete forgiveness. Why do we hold on to giving as sacred? God has called us to, and because of his heart for our hearts. What's God stirring in you? What's God encouraging you in? What's God challenging you in? What's God affirming something he's been doing? What is that? As we take time now to give more words to things that we practice regularly, we want to make sure that we participate these in these with a worthy manner, not an unworthy manner. We're called to guard against that, be cautious of that. And so we wanted to slow down. 
Now, there's a, there's a reality to our weekly worship services and the practice and of, of giving and the practice of communion that we cannot say all the right things to all the broad audience to exactly what you are needing to hear in that space when we participate in giving or communion. But we're given a little more time and space here right now. But we wanna encourage you, lead yourself in your need. Lead yourself in your need. You're taking communion and you need to slow down and have a longer conversation with the Lord, please do that. We encourage you, please do that. You're not ready to participate there yet because you have a conversation you're needing to finish with the Lord, do so. You remember somebody has something against you and you need to first go and be reconciled to your brother and sister and make that right and then come back? That's okay, hold off, it's all good. You find yourself, when it comes to giving, because today is so automated and so electronic that it just kind of happens like other you know, things on your bank happens, uh, online banking, and you find it not being worshipful for you. You find it just kind of happening and you passively participating in it. Take that time. We won't always say it. Lead yourself toward your need. Take that time as we go through this to have the conversation that you need to with the Lord. Give him thanks for how he provides for you. Have that conversation with him. God, I don't know how this is gonna get paid. I don't know how this is gonna work, but I know that I can trust you. Pray, God, use this, what I give. If it's those two nickels or if it's a whole lot more, whatever it is, whatever God has put on your heart, heart, not reluctantly nor out of compulsion, I love that, I love that. As you give it, give it to the advancement of all that God's wanting to do. Take that time to lead out of your need. What else comes to you for, for that call as we, uh, get into giving. To, to be up here, um, this is some time ago, um, leading worship here. And one of the things that I found for myself is that I never possessed the ability to click from one thing to the next. I couldn't just click my way into communion into that space, that sacred space. I needed a moment to just breathe. And in the breathing, I needed to let my brain slow down. Just slow down because I don't know if yours is like mine, but I can run through a whole lot of data real fast. And it's, it's literally, it just happens. And I had, I had to learn to stop. Stop. And learn and understand what it means to be in the presence of Jesus. And what we want to encourage you to do, and I, I love that, to just lead yourself into your need. You know yourself. The only one who knows you better is the Lord. So this is literally between you and him. Not even the person sitting next to you or the person on stage who says, we're going to move to the next thing. No, you and the Lord Get to own that worship space. And if you realize I'm not there yet, then stay in that space. Be present in that space to where your heart and your mind can slow down and begin to engage the one who loves you more than anyone ever has or ever will. Taking that extra, maybe it's 30 seconds, maybe it's two to three minutes of just sitting, and when you're ready, you engage. I think we have a God who's got a couple of extra minutes on his hands. Sometimes we get caught up in the, yeah, but. Well, that's, that's the Lord loving us and letting us, okay, well, if you think you need to, but I'll be here whenever you're ready. 
Because I know it's nothing. It, I, I love it when my kids slow down. That doesn't happen very often. It just doesn't. Everything they do has got to happen quick, fast, and in a hurry. What if we just slowed down and just spend time with our Lord and just being present with him and not being on autopilot? I don't know if you're like this. There's just nothing these days for me that is more unnerving for me when I am driving and I am a block away from where I'm getting and I have no idea how I got there. There is something about that that just actually, I feel a chill go through me because I just think, what just happened? I know I went through stoplights and I think I let somebody cross the street and I stayed within a speed limit, I hope. I hope I wasn't dangerous. I hope I wasn't, I hope I wasn't, but I literally have no recollection of what just happened. A sacred space calls us to be present and to not be on autopilot. Calls us to stop and engage. Be aware. Because the Holy Spirit might have something for you in that moment that he didn't have last week. And he might not have for you this week, but he'll have for you right now and in this space. Uh, you have never given to the Lord before in and through the local church. And so this is a whole new ball of wax, right? I mean, this is uh, stepping out in faith. Uh, no lie, if you were to go to any other amazing, local, Bible-believing, Jesus-loving church in the area, we would encourage you to go do the same thing there. So this isn't about North Shore. This is about the kingdom of God and you and your relationship with the Lord and what he calls you to in and through his organized church. And he, want to invite, he wants to invite you into what he says in Matthew 6.33. He says, I know how to take care of flowers really well. I know how to take care of birds really well. How much more? How much more are you more valuable than some birds and some flowers? Therefore, Therefore, seek first my kingdom and my righteousness and all these things that you are so easily anxious about. How will this, how will this, how will this get paid? How can, if I give this up, you know, what will happen, right? Seek first my kingdom, my righteousness, and all these things I will take care of. Do not be anxious about tomorrow. I've got you. I've got you. So we want to encourage you, trust him. He's, he's capable. He's capable. He knows exactly how to meet you there, bless you, lead you, guide you. He's faithful, amen? Amen. So we're going to give you some space right now to pray. Just pray about giving. You know, we're not passing baskets anymore, right? We have those locations on the back. Feel free to, if you need to make up your way or on the way afterwards, you can do that. Uh, but we want to give you some space just to pray. Have a conversation with the Lord. What, what is he doing in your heart? What needs to be heard? What needs to be said? Take some time to pray right now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, 
we do ask you'd glorify yourself through what's given here from week to week and month to month. God, advance your kingdom. Glorify your name. You know how to bless your sons, your daughters for their faithfulness and giving, for their trust. And you know the measure of that trust. And you know exactly how to meet it. You know how to bless, to lead the guy, to fill in the gaps. You're good at that. You're faithful. You know what you're doing in each and every one of us regarding the resources you've entrusted to us, what you're calling us into, and what you want to continue to do. Lord, we're nothing without you. Any of the stuff we have, we don't have without you. We need you. You are our God. Be blessed by what we give, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. to communion it's amazing how much we've adapted there used to be trays and we would pass them down ushers would bring them we would take the cup we would take the bread we would hold it and then we would all share together now we've shifted to something a little a little different but in that space Church, may I encourage you to consider that when Paul wrote that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. If that could be the thing and the space we sit in on why we do this and why this is sacred, May that be that space. So we're just going to take a moment. When you're ready to take the bread, to take the cup, you go ahead and do that. But let's spend some time with our Lord today in this space. Maybe you don't have a relationship with Jesus yet. Maybe you haven't heard the gospel that Jesus loves you that he is God, he came down for you, towards you, near, took on sin, all of your faults, all your problems, all your struggles, he paid in full one time because of love. He took care of your greatest problems, your sin problem, your spiritual enemy, and he defeated them on the cross 2,000 years ago. And he wants you to know, this is how much I love you to the fullest extent of my life being poured out for you. And it's not an accident that you're here. It's not an accident that you're with us. He is drawing you. It's not an accident what's going on in your life and bringing you to that place of looking up to him and thinking about him and wondering about him and life. He is calling you to him. He wants you to trust him. Ask for forgiveness of sins. He's paid in full. He is capable of. And he will meet you there regardless of who you've been, where you've been, and what you've done. He's that good. Have a conversation with him. Let's pray.
Just thank you for a few moments to breathe with you, to sit with you. be reminded of your love for us. To understand how full and complete that love is today. Lord, it is our desire to do these things pleases only you, no one else. Thank you for giving us these sacred spaces to worship you, to commit to you, to recommit to you, to repent, to confess, and to rest. Thank you for bringing us back to what matters. For we give it to you in your holy name.